Good morning. The latest figures are out and fly tipping is again on the rise. This week on the farming programme, what's the solution? Landowners and farmers are victims of this crime and it's unfair that they have to pay for it. We'll hear more from Kath Crowther at the CLA a little later. Kit Dickinson will be back with the Open Field Report and Sean Sparling has the week's agronomy too. Not that there's much happening thanks to the wet weather. And yes, that's where this week we start again. The Week in Agriculture. This is The Farming Programme with Sean Dunderdale. Hello, yes. Last week on the programme, Sean Sparling and I discussed the wet summer and now autumn and the problem that the weather is still causing. As we know, there was more serious flooding again this week with farmland used to divert water away from properties. Now, I mentioned on the programme last week one farm worker who'd posted on Facebook that despite working in the industry since the early 80s, he's never witnessed a year like it. And said it's the first year he's honestly said to himself, what's the point? This week, I've seen yet more social media posts. For example, uh, Tom Markhill saying his potato harvest is over, but they've had to abandon the last two acres. It's taken a total of seven tractors and trailers, four different harvesters, a heavily modified grader, at least up to 15 people, and, he says, a whole lot of determination. Another Mark Robinson told his followers on social media that Flea Beetle had taken all of his oilseed rape and, including a photo of the sun peeking through cloud, he says he hopes this thing will stay for two weeks to stop his wheat from drowning. And then he says to preem or not preem. Well, of course, sadly, that sun didn't last for very long, did it? Well, the farm worker I mentioned last week is Gregory Scott. He works fields near the River Trent, but also helps run Lincoln Holiday Retreat on the edge of Lincoln itself, a kind of farm diversity. Beautiful place as well. So uh, this week I went to see Gregory there and asked whether things really are that bad. Yeah, definitely. Um, I mean, we've had wet years in the past, but this year is probably precedent to any of years that I've seen in the past. You know, you stand at the side of the trench and the water's overflowing across the fields that you've spent the last week cultivating and, and preparing for your winter crops, and then all of a sudden it's taken away again. You know, you just wonder when this weather is going to ease off a little bit and give the farmers a break that they, that they need. And you, you kind of intimated, you know, this is kind of the first time you've thought, what is the point? Is that true? Yeah, I mean, as I drive to work, you know, I live in Lincoln and drive out to North Clifton and every field is flooded. And you get to work, you know, you're sent off to do a bit of ploughing and you get so much of it done and then it's, you just can't move anymore. And you, it's field after field after field. And it's just, it's heart-wrenching that you can't do your job and you go back to the yard you can see the boss isn't happy because you've come back as well so you're there obviously facing hard times you know as well as the operators you know losing out on valuable winter time overtime that's it you say contractors you know this time of year would would hopefully be making a, a bit more money with that overtime but it's just not there at the moment no, that's right. I mean, fortunately, we managed to lift our sugar beet early. But, you know, there's a lot of farmers now that the sugar beet is underwater and they're not able to get machines in to lift their crop. If it continues to be wet, the sugar beet will start to rot. You're obviously pleased that you took that decision to, to get that beet out early. Yeah, it, it, it's, it's certainly been the earliest we've I've ever experienced lifting sugar beet. You know, it's quite, quite surreal that... Uh, You've lifted it by the beginning of October at my old farm. You know, we wouldn't start while November. So 
it's yeah, it's a real, real strange feeling that it's all been lifted in three days, and it's all gone out the yard in three days. And was that was that decision because of the weather particularly, or no? It was mainly because we wanted to get uh, the field in with winter wheat because it's a real light field and it doesn't grow spring crops very well. So fortunately, we was able to get that that field in. And what about the winter wheat? Is that you managed to drill that yet? We've got some winter wheat in. Um, we've probably got about 25-30% of the total acreage. I think we've got about 250 acres drilled out of 800. So we're still way down on what, what we normally would achieve for a winter crop. And you say you've been obviously speaking to, to others within the industry and they're facing similar issues. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's a real difficult one because it, it's a new farm for me this year and getting to know all the local farmers. And, you know, the real bunch of nice chaps out there. And, you know, I was talking to one the other night in, in the local pub. He put his head down when I asked him how he's coping, and he looked back up at me in despair. And you think, the farmers are suffering, the staff's suffering. Let's just hope it ends and we get some spring crops in. And you say, you know, you're near the Trent, you're seeing it, and I guess alongside rivers, although it's not excusable, you can expect some overtopping at some stage. But, I mean, this is unprecedented levels, isn't it? Well, it's certainly an experience for me. I've never experienced, you know, waters like it. You know, in the past we've had wet weather, but it's never been so prolonged. I mean, obviously with the Trent, if we get heavy rain, you know to look in three or four days' time when all the water's coming from Derbyshire, and, you know, that's what affects and pushes the trend up. But even here, you know, we're not really near a river here, but a lot of the water fields are underwater, as you say, when you're driving just around in uh, anywhere in the area, fields are, there's, there's deep puddles within those fields. That's right. I mean, I mean, I live at Lincoln Holiday Retreat, which is on the Western Growth Corridor. Um, you know, that's, that's the earmark for development, but yet it is still low-lying land and classed as a floodplain. You know, I've never seen waters as high on this this area in 30 years. And, and is there a threat with all these developments that are going in in floodplains that obviously that's taking more land out that previously we would have flooded to try and bring that water level down and that's just backing up, causing problems further upstream? Yeah, I fully agree with that. Um, obviously, you know, all these concrete cities or concrete jungles, whatever you like to call them, they're putting more and more runoff water into old drainage systems that are already full anyway so i don't see how they can make it cope you know we're not too far away from the fosway which has been as it's at its highest i've ever seen this year and it just makes you wonder where the water will go and on the the other side of it as well that uh, it's taking you know 500 acres of farmland out of the equation too in farming, we're always trying to be optimistic. Um, what are your hopes as we head towards a new year? Are you fingers crossed that things are going to start drying out, I guess? Yeah, well, I mean, hopefully. I mean, we, obviously, it's too wet at the minute for, for anything. And I'm, I'm quite a keen wildlife photographer. So, you know, maybe I might just get a few weeks off, you know, over Christmas period, to, you know, to do something that I enjoy. You know, bring a bit of uh, happiness back into the life, if you like, and forget about the the wet fields and hopefully we'll get a dry spring and get some spring crops in yeah you desperately need that don't you oh desperately yeah i mean spring crops are never going to be as viable as winter crops but 
you know, you have to take what there is. Don't you just. Uh, Gregory Scott there speaking at Lincoln Holiday Retreat. I must admit, I uh, avoided the temptation of hopping in the hot tub while I was there at the retreat. Good to hear from Gregory. Are you feeling the same? Do please get in touch and share your experiences. Right, Kit Dickinson is back again from Open Field. Is the weather affecting the grain markets, Kit? Yes, it is. It's affecting, it's affecting everyone, really. Uh, we we think at the moment we are 25 to 30% drilled on winter crops. Um, and this week has seen more of the same in terms of the wheat market. The futures have risen slightly on old crop and on new crop due to the weather. And uh, obviously the dreaded rain keeps coming. If you are in the fortunate position, though, of having drilled some winter wheat, forward prices are very appealing. £150 extra the farm is now achievable for September 20, with a £1 carry going forward through to May 21. The news is simple, really. The UK market is firming on November 20 with the fear of a small crop, and the old crop has to follow suit. The spread between the two years is now £15 a tonne or more. As we get closer to Christmas and the wet conditions continue to delay drilling, it is worth looking at alternative crops. Spring crops are now in short supply already due to poor drilling conditions this year, but also because of a very good autumn establishment this time last year in 2018. This meant that the area assigned to spring crops that was drilled last year was actually drilled with winter crops, meaning the market has less spring availability. It is amazing how two seasons can be completely different. Oilseed rape has also had a good week and we are seeing more demand from buyers. The price has risen by 4 to £5 pounds a tonne, depending on area. New crop is still under pressure, with more reports of flea beetle and slug damage across the UK. If this continues, it should add positivity to the new crop market. The USDA report on Friday will be the next point of interest, with now some good news needed on the US-China trade agreements. Looking at barley... Interestingly, malting barley values, if anything, are dropping. It's not quite like feed wheat. With maltsters currently well covered, who is going to buy it? There is reluctance to pay up when they can't use it, and what they've already bought is sat in the shed. With this in mind, looking forward to new crop and a potentially bigger crop and more surplus than we have this year, where is it going to go and who is going to use it? A min-max contract would be a safe bet given the current situation. Prices this week. Wheat for November is 133 to 135. February 138 to 140. May 143 to 145. November 20 new crop 151 to 153. And milling premiums are still currently £20. Oilseed rate for November 318 to 320. February 321 to 323 and May 324 to 326. November 20 new crop, 306 to 308. Feed barley values, still down in the doldrums I'm afraid, with November at 119 to 121. February, still no carry going forward at 119 to 121, and May 120 to 123, dependent on quality and area. November new crop, 124 to 125. Malting premiums are circa £10. Feed bean values for November are 175 and for May, 180 Please get specific samples tested for human consumption prices. Thanks, Kit. Kit Dickinson with the Open Field Latest.
On Thursday, DEFRA released its latest fly-tipping figures, looking at the cost to local authorities. It's found that for 2018-19, over a million incidents were dealt with. That's up 8% on the 2017-18 figure. Two-thirds of that comes from household waste. That's up 2% on the last set of figures. And, of course, these figures are only for those that are dealt with by councils. They don't include that that's cleared by private landowners. Kath Crowther is from the CLA. Uh, Kath, the DEFRA report makes grim reading, doesn't it? It is. It's such a major issue which is blighting the countryside and the lives of those who live and work in it. Um, Clearly, the results show incidents across public land, but the number on private land will be considerably higher than the million uh, incidents shown in that statistics. And that's the problem, isn't it? This is really just the tip of the iceberg. Absolutely. Um, Two-thirds of farmers and landowners are affected by fly-tipping every year, and they have to pay to remove that waste. Um, it's obviously, and we've worked out that the average cost is somewhere in the region of £1,000 per incident. But it's not just the cost incurred, there's also the threat to wildlife and livestock and the risk of contamination to soil and watercourses. And it's a real blight on, on the countryside, isn't it? You know, farmers, uh, well, sometimes those in agriculture, get a, you know, they'll get a bit of stick, un, unwarranted, uh, you know, they, they're trying to protect the environment and this is just going the other way. Absolutely. And... Landowners and farmers can actually face prosecution if they do not, um, if they don't deal with the waste that's on the land. So they have to incur costs, and they have um, could potentially incur fines if they don't deal with it. What would you like to see done? What more can be done from a CLA perspective? We would like um, more penalties to be imposed and enforced, which better reflect the seriousness of the crime. So at the moment, the fines are substantially lower than the cost to the landowner or farmer of disposing of the waste. We think that seizure of vehicles would be a deterrent um, and would be a punishment that um, shows the seriousness of the crime. We... I think that um, education is also good, so we want ed- to educate and raise awareness of responsible waste disposal. So many people don't realise that they could be fined if their waste is found dumped. So we want your the general public to understand that they should use licensed waste carriers. So rather than using you know your your typical white van um, driver who might not um, have a uh, waste license um, and make sure that they are disposing of it correctly. And as you say, the penalties at the moment, I think uh, I think the report says 11% uh, rise in, in people actually being fined. But as you say, those fines don't come anywhere near and there's no compensation, you know, for, for landowners who are having to clear this from their land, is there really? There isn't. There has been a scheme introduced in Hertfordshire recently where landowners can tap into a pot to cover their costs. We think more schemes like that should be introduced because landowners and farmers are victims of this crime and it's unfair that they have to pay for it. We concentrate a lot on uh, hair coursing, a big issue, and and there have been moves, and particularly uh, with the local police force, to try and bring those numbers down. This is the next big problem, isn't it? Fly tipping is equally as big a problem as hair coursing, really, if not more so. 
It is. It's a major, major issue. The other thing that we would like is a fly-tipping czar to oversee, because at the moment, depending on the circumstances, the EA, the police, or the local authority could be involved. And it's difficult for our um, members to know who to go to, and often they're saying, well, no, it's not us, it's someone else. If we had a coordination, then we could monitor and report the scale of the problem across public and private land, not just the public statistics that come out of DEFRA at the moment. We could also then benchmark enforcement performance and see what actually works. Now, there's a good idea. Kath Crowther there from the CLA. Fly tipping, it is a real blight, isn't it? And you don't have to drive very far to see it for yourself. Clearly, action is needed. More needs to be done. And uh, if, like Kath, you have a possible solution then please do get in touch we know the politicians listen to us and they uh, might well uh, take on board your views you know how to contact us right on to agronomy sean sparling's back morning sean yes good morning sean you know this i wonder what i'm going to talk about this week so it's going to be relatively short and sweet um but what i'm not going to talk about really is the weather we all know how wet it is we know there's a bit more rain coming and there's nothing that we can do about it by worrying all i would say is if you are worried talk to somebody talk to your neighbors talk to your friends your family pick the phone up speak to lrsn sharing your problem really does help and there's an awful lot of people in the same position out there so just talk to somebody Um, and remember there's a little prayer called the serenity prayer which is lord grant me the serenity to accept that which i cannot change the knowledge to change that which i can and the wisdom to know the difference so if there's nothing you can do about it there really is no point worrying dry weather always turns wet at some point and similarly wet weather will always turn dry at some point hopefully this weekend we'll see the end of the rain and we can start moving forward but we have to take positives from it and those positives this year would be i'm walking all seed rape and i've got dead slugs floating in puddles because they're not amphibious and they don't like the wet conditions either so there's a positive the black grass situation in fields which were going to come winter wheat which as i said last week you can drill winter wheat into the middle of february and as long as we get a good may june july you'll get a good yield off it but the fields which we're going to drill which we haven't drilled we've had two fantastically good flushes of black grass come through so you won't be full of black grass when you've got wheat in the ground there's a positive you've got bydv the threat has largely diminished now because we're not going to hit that 180 accumulated day degree threshold which would trigger us to go and to be fair i'm not seeing any aphid in the field perhaps they drowned as well we can only hope so there are positives out there we have had some wheat go in the ground this week and i think it's important that on farms i've seen wheat going in on farms where they haven't used the plow for many years and yet they're plowing and drilling this year and that's the important thing in farming we have to be flexible and we have to be open to new and actually old ideas so just because you're min-till just because you're non-inversion it doesn't mean that every now and then in a season such as this where the plow may well be the only way of getting drilling done that you shouldn't employ the plow be open-minded and use every tool that you have available to you in isolation you may never have to do it again but in a season like this it may be the only way that you go forward so there's a bit of nitrogen deficiency out there in the winter oilseed rape it's concentrating its efforts on the new growth we can find nitrogen sulfur phosphate calcium molybdenum zinc you can find all these deficiencies but there's nothing you can do about it so don't worry about it i've no winter barley in i've no winter rye gone in the ground since last week no linseed no winter beans it's very very wet as we all know it will dry at some point bide your time 
the good news is the prices look like they're going to be better for whatever does go in the ground. So I'm just going to walk away, Sean. I'm going to go and have a lie down in a dark room. I'm going to talk to somebody. We're going to have a laugh. We're going to have a joke. We're going to try and cheer ourselves up. And we will come back here next week fully refreshed, saying, thank goodness that rain stopped. Second weekend in November was when the rain stopped. Good morning. Good morning to you. That would be nice, wouldn't it? Thanks, Sean. Sean Sparling of Sparling Agronomy Services. Last week on the programme, still on the podcast page of our website, if you want to go listen again, we heard from David Nash uh, talking about helping the environment and saving farmers a bit of money as well. Have a listen back, do please, if you missed it. Anyway, I missed two vital letters from David's company name. It's UK Eco Energy Solutions. I didn't mention the UK last week. So if you want to chat to David and the team, UK Eco Energy Solutions, you'll find them all online. Right, on to the all-important weather then. The Farming Programme, five-day forecast. Well, this week is looking a bit drier, thankfully. Frosty mornings by the looks of things, though. Today certainly is drier and brighter. Highs around 6 Celsius, with the wind from the northwest at 10 to 15 miles an hour. Low pressure will again push across on Monday, so some further wet weather is likely. Some areas will miss it, though. Highs again around 8 Celsius. The winds more from the west, southwest, could be gusting up to 30 miles an hour for a time. Drier again on Tuesday, still windy from the west, 15 to 25 miles an hour, highs of 7 Celsius. And overnights, while mostly dry and clear throughout the week, as I say, that does mean some frosty nights ahead. Temperatures could dip to around 2 or 3 Celsius. And as for the end of the week, well, it looks like bringing more unsettled weather again, further low pressure could come in. Um, we'll keep a check on that with our hourly forecasts as the week continues. For now, though, that is the forecast. It was supposed to be the East of England Farming Conference this coming week, but the event in Peterborough has been cancelled. Bad weather, yes, the weather again, as well as political indecisiveness has been blamed on it not going ahead. Speakers unable really to answer questions about Brexit and the like because of the uncertainty over what will happen in next month's general election. And of course, with all this bad weather, uh, a lot in the industry have uh, other things to be doing than sitting in the conference centre there in Peterborough. It has been cancelled, though they are already planning for November next year instead. So uh, we won't have highlights from that on next week's programme. We will be hearing from Andrew Waterson, though. His call for more young blood getting into the farm mechanic side of the business. I was hoping we'd fit him in this week but uh, we're just out of time so next week definitely just in time for the Midlands Machinery Show as well which is happening next week. Before we go this week we have talked a lot about the weather today, the flooded land, the lack of winter wheat being drilled, veg rotting in the fields, all adding that extra pressure on those in the industry. So just before we go I thought I'd use this opportunity to play again just a little bit of the interview from a few weeks ago with Jilly Steele you might remember she's the health and well-being lead at LRSN and uh, she told us why reaching out just to talk does help. Mental health as a whole is started to be talked about uh, more socially um, across the media and also within social circles. So I think people are feeling more comfortable talking about what they're struggling with. In our farming communities, the stresses and strains are becoming more and more. 
And you say you're a mental health nurse yourself? Yes, I've been a qualified mental health nurse for the last 18 years. Um, I've worked in a variety of roles, both in the NHS and the public sector, um, but I'm a country girl at heart. So being able to tie my two passions together um, is a dream come true, really. Since you started in the profession, if you like, all those years ago, to see where we're at now, where, as you say, people are more and more willing to come forward, thankfully, and discuss these these kind of things. You know, that must be heartwarming, really, compared to where we were, if you think back 18 years ago. Absolutely. The boundaries are being broken down more and more. There's still some boundaries out there. Um, it's a generational thing. Younger people are far more open to talk about their mental health. Um, older people and people in more um, socially isolated communities will maybe not be so open to talk about their problems, um, soldier on, so to speak. Um, so there's still quite a lot of work to do, but certainly... Certainly, it's far easier getting people to engage with how, how they're feeling than it used to be. It's nothing to be ashamed of whatsoever. Um, life changes, stresses and strains become more and more. Um, and we're here to help, not judge um, and uh, you know, certainly not talk about people behind the backs, which I think a lot of people worry about. I thought given with all that's going on, uh, it was important to hear there from Julie Steele at LRSN. Their number, by the way, if you want to speak in complete confidence, is 0800 138 1710. 0800 138 1710. There are, of course, other organisations you can speak to in complete confidence as well. The Samaritans, uh, you'll find them on 116 123. 116 123. Do Give them a call or at least reach out to someone and speak to them. As they say, as we've said before on the programme, it's okay to not be okay. Until next week's farming programme, take care.